Upsflyer presents Winning in the Nordics with Anneli Nash. Welcome to Winning in the Nordics. I'm your host, Anneli Nash, and I'll meet some of the most interesting marketers, investors, and app developers across the region to learn from their success stories. I'm the founder of AIM4, your partner for digital marketing and growth, and this podcast is a collaboration with Appsflyer. Appsflyer provides mobile marketers with the technology they need to grow their apps and create exceptional user experiences. I'm here today with Malin Granlund. She's the CEO and co-founder of Dunn. Malin has been in the tech startup world for a decade, working with marketing, operation and customer success. In 2019, she took the leap and founded Dunn. And Dunn is a mobile marketplace for home improvement and repair services. Through the app, users can easily hire quality-assured home contractors, such as electricians, carpenters and painters. Whether it's a small or a large project, Dunn makes the whole process really smooth, from finding the right home contractor contractor to paying for the service. Welcome, Malin. Thank you, Anneli. Great to be here. So we're going to start off in a quote because I read something you said and I thought it was so on point that I kind of want to hit it off with this. So I'm going to read it out loud. We believe that disruptions start with unsatisfied customers and innovation starts with enabling customer-driven change. Wow, that's quite a a statement. So uh, (laughs) tell me a bit about Dan and uh, how you got the idea and how it kind of fits into that quote. Yeah, sure. Um, So speaking about unsatisfied customers, I think the home improvement industry that we are within, uh, like as soon as I mentioned that we are within the home improvement industry to, to anyone, people have a lot of horror stories from renovation projects. I mean, it's a common dinner theme if you go to like a Swedish dinner party to speak about horror stories about renovation and in fact it's also the most complained about consumer industry uh, Mm. within Scandinavia so looking at the consumer uh, association it receives the most complaints year after year after year so uh, with that in mind plus that I have a background and a family that are carpenters so like electricians and flooring experts and so on that has their own businesses. I've I've seen this from both sides. So a lot of consumers know that, okay, you carpenters are very complained about, but what I've seen growing up is the other way around. The carpenters don't really love working with you neither. So it's a two-way street. Yeah. Um, and uh, past 10 years, I've been in, uh, in a lot of tech startups, working with the marketplaces and adding those things together. I really saw that, okay, if you apply a lot of these tech elements into this old traditional consumer industry, you can really create a change. So I met my co-founder Alec at uh, Antler, which is a VC incubator where you uh, develop ideas and then Antler invest in, in the top ideas that comes out from the incubator. So uh, Alec has a background as a developer and he has a big passion for helping small companies with all type of administration. Uh, so he's, from example, working with an accounting company, optimizing accounting and so on. So we started like diving deeper into why it is so complained about. Like, is it just that they don't do a crap job? Uh, no, it's not. Like, usually they're really good at the actual service they are delivering, but it's everything in between, like the communication, the quotes, uh, the timeline, and so on. So everything connected to communication and administration. So we realized early on that we need to to focus on those aspects 
to be able to to enable a craftsman to deliver a good service to the consumers. Yeah, that's I mean that's amazing. But can you kind of uh, because I've only seen the kind of consumer side of this, you know, uh, a carpenter being late or you know. Um, sending the invoice to the wrong email or whatever. Like, uh, can you tell me a bit about like what were their side of the story to kind of get this in perspective? Yeah, I mean, their side of the story is that consumers are usually not really good buyers. They are a lot of times, especially our target group, first-time buyers. So they they are not really aware of, of pricing or how to structure a job description and so on. So as a craftsman, they're usually a, a very small company. So Looking at the demographics of craftsmen, 80% of the market consists of four or less employees. So it's very fragmented market, a lot of small companies, and those small companies need to act as a communication department to explain to you as a customer why certain things cost as much or like why it would take longer or why something could be cheaper. Um, as a financial department with handling the costs, as a project management department, as a tax department with the root in Sweden, especially that's specific for Sweden. So it's so many different aspects that I need to handle. But most craftsmen choose to be craftsmen because they don't like admin and, yeah. you know, project management and all those things. So uh, knowing all of this from uh, the craftsmen and what they like and all these kind of roles that they uh, need to take, like how are you changing the industry? Yeah, so what we realized was that looking at the industry and, and what it's been for the past decade, uh, it's been consisting of a lot of lead gen marketplaces. So uh, marketplaces selling selling your customer details for uh, for amount of money and the marketplaces hasn't been handling the rest of the project so everything connected to communication and uh, invoicing and project management and so on so what we uh, what we really saw was that we need to focus on all of these aspects and we saw that the market is ready for this now so I think if you would have looked at the industry 10 years ago they would not be ready to work with with digital tools like we do but the craftsman industry really is through a shift right now with a lot of craftsmen that are using, you know, Instagram and Facebook and so on in their personal life. And they want to be more digital when they work with you as a customer. So uh, what we do is that we, could say, uh, democratize the, the tech for these small businesses. So we enable these small businesses to use leading tech that other big companies and other industries are using uh, to help them to deliver to the customer. So really what we do is that we uh, we optimize everything that is not the actual craft. So we want them to do what they really, really love and what they're really good at and kind of wash away that bad rumor that the craftsman has. So helping them while communicating with the customer, having optimized communication. We built like a root uh, reporter that automatically reports all the roots so they don't have to sit one day per week in doing that. So like my family when growing up, they had at least one day per week when they were sitting doing administrational work. And usually 50% of it was incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually yeah. a lot of mistakes in it. So now they can focus on, on what they're really, really good at yeah. and are hoping in the long term is to turn around this most complained about industry and make it to an industry that 
that is easy, like has a good UX as a customer and is in pair with how, how you handle other type of, of services. Yeah. So uh, from a, a, a consumer perspective, uh, you kind of you download the app and you put in your order and you kind of use the you, you communicate with your carpenter uh, uh, in the app. How is it from the other side? Do they also only use the app or do they have a desktop um, version or they have a desktop version as well? Yeah, um, I think most probably eighty five percent of uh, our craftsmen are using the mobile version. Yeah, since as I mentioned. Like 80% of the market consists of very small companies, so they kind of have their office in their their pocket. Yeah, they don't sit at the at the computer. And actually, in the beginning, before we had like invoicing tools and things like that in our app, uh, the craftsmen were like, "Okay, I will send you the quote in in next week when I plan to sit at the computer." Mm. Uh, so we realized that okay, everything needs to be able to be handled through the app. But yeah. then we also launched about six months ago, a desktop version. So a little bit bigger companies that has a coordinator yeah. uh, and are sitting in office, they can use the, the desktop as well. Mm, interesting. Because we're going to talk about marketing a bit. And, and what I kind of realized from what you're saying also is if the carpenters are kind of complaining on the fact that these young people maybe who are using the app aren't as good at like ordering what they need, are you helping with that as well? Because I can see that from other industries as well. For example, marketing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are, and I say we—that's something that we will focus a lot on going forward. We we try to steer the consumer to to enter as much details as possible. We ask for a budget interval, and if the budget interval is off, we discuss that with the customer before it goes out, mm. so that we can send good requests. To the craftsmen, because that's something we noticed in the beginning as well. Yeah. When it was more open, uh, that a lot of the the job requests got uh, ignored because uh, the job description and so on were weren't good enough. Ah, I see. And uh, kind of um, because I'm I'm like referencing now. I talked to uh, Jepster, uh Jacob there. I don't know if this episode will have come out. So <laughs> to kind of give some context, we talked about gamification in an app doing uh, a bit similar. Um, Thing that you do, they, they are a marketplace. Like, uh, do you have any gamification included? Absolutely, I would say not on the, not really on the consumer side. No, so far, and most, like, really the majority of the product development for us has been to the craftsman side. Since as a consumer, you just want a immediate match. You want that. Okay, the project will end up with the same amount of money as the uh, quote were, and it's done in time, and so on. So. Most of the development has been towards the craftsmen because they are the ones using us on a yeah. everyday basis. So, for the craftsmen, we we worked a lot with gamification. So, what we want uh, our craftsmen is to deliver the best possible service to the customers, of course. And to do that, we have elements in the app like uh, response time and uh, conversion of quotes and so on. So, we look at a lot of different elements for the craftsmen and. They sign a code of conduct when they enter done. So they need to, for example, send the quote X hours after the video call and so on. And by leveraging on these, these parts in the code of conduct, they get more and bigger jobs. So higher rating, 
and then they receive more jobs and so on. That's fantastic. I, I can see that working. Yeah, keeps them on the toes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so was it always obvious that you were going to do it as an app? I, I realize kind of the video calls and stuff makes it a lot easier, but did you ever thought about doing it another way? I mean, it was natural since uh, my co-founder is an app developer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and we had this hypothesis that, okay, the, the craftsman is always on the go. Uh, let's Let's make it as an app. Uh, is also, of course, good on, on a consumer angle to have like the stickiness and possibility to re-communicate and cross-sell mm. uh, when you have an app. Um, but something we we realize now later is that we'll also need to to add on a desktop version for the consumer yeah. uh, as a natural way to to convert more quotes from the web when you drive marketing towards yeah. the web. Yeah. Okay, interesting. But that that kind of like gives me a smooth sailing into growth. Uh, so like, how are you driving growth right now? Yeah, that's uh, is a big question, especially for for marketplaces. I mean, marketplaces, uh, I believe, is much more challenging to uh, to drive growth in any any growth company, or any startup scale up. It is difficult with growth, but marketplaces, I would say, sticks out even more since you have the natural way of the chicken and egg situation, yeah. like uh, without any suppliers, like shopping in a warehouse with empty empty shelves and so on. Uh, so for us, and especially with uh, with me working with marketplaces before, like I love looking at the dynamics of marketplaces. We realized that we need to to kind of hack one side of the marketplace. So for for us, we looked at okay, what is the most difficult part is it supply or is it demand and then we focus most on that in the beginning so for us supply was the the most difficult part and hence we developed all these features that I've been talking about for like mm-hmm. invoicing communication so we we have we used to say that we're a SaaS enabled marketplace so we have a good reason for the supply to to join on uh, into the app yeah and then looking at the demand side uh, we saw that okay demand is much easier. Uh, it is a huge demand after craftsmen. A lot of uh, craftsmen are fully booked, and that's like the main issue we solve from the consumer side. You can get quickly matched with the craftsmen. So on that side, it was more testing a lot of different channels, as you do in the beginning of a startup, to to try to figure out which are the the most cost efficient, and really looking at the the unit economics and making sure that. What we pay for a customer that adds up with with the lifetime value, and for us as uh, as it is a, a service that you don't consume that often, it needs to even add up at the first purchase that you do. Yeah. So we tried out a lot of channels in the beginning, and now we have kind of boiled it down to two, three channels that uh, really sticks and and works uh, for us, and two traditional channels with um, performance marketing and SEO and content. So our strategy there is to like become the go-to place where you find all information about what things uh, are costing, like how much does it cost for innovation and how can I make uh, more budget renovation versus luxury renovation and so on. Uh, and that connects well to, to SEO because the most common way of, of finding a craftsman is to Google or yeah. ask your friends. So it naturally connects to that. But then we have, have a third channel that is our like way of hacking the supply and, and demand challenge, and that is adding on uh, different type of partnerships. So mm. we work a lot with uh, like retail brands, like 
Coadauta and uh, retailers of uh, car chargers and so on. So when you go into uh, to one of these chains and buy interior for a bathroom and so on, we have API connected to, to our platform so they can add on installation and oh. add on a service by us. So that's a really good way for us to to kind of overcome the constant struggle of, of the chicken and egg situation as you have in a marketplace. So yeah. when we go into a new city, we don't need to start with both the supply and the demand at the same time. We can kick off one of the partnerships that we have, activate that, get a good inflow of customers and then focus our energy on onboarding supply. Yeah, uh, that, ma- that makes a lot of sense. Uh, just kind of a logic question of this. So who owns the customer? Are you, do you own the customer or do the carpenters? Uh, we own the customer. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So is there any reason for the carpenters to, like, if they re- get a request from another channel, do they still run them through your app or not? Good question. We actually, we, we have received this request a lot of times yeah. from the craftsmen. Yeah. Uh, since we have, like, a SaaS tool and our aim is to, to save admin time. So uh, a lot of our craftsmen, okay, still get some requests from the side. Why can I not add it? Into yeah. the app. So we just a few months ago launched a, a pilot where we let the craftsmen add in all their jobs into our app, mm. which is fantastic for like keeping track of utilization and being able to match your project even quicker yeah. uh, with the consumers. Okay, cool. I, I also thought that that might uh, make it easier to kind of like when you're launching a new city, if they can start by moving their yeah. current business, it should also be easier than... Uh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And I think that's that's the way you need to think about uh, building marketplaces, like looking at, uh, at success cases out there. I think all the marketplaces that have succeeded, that have found a way to, to kind of hack the supply and demand situation like Uber and... Um, uh, ClassPass, for example, they subsidized the supply. To do that, you need a lot of easy cash, but <laughs> that's one way to like get in supply. Or yeah. you have uh, Book My Table, for example. They built uh, also a SaaS-enabled marketplace to get all the SaaS on board or all the supply on board. Yeah, and then they launched uh, uh, the, the customers. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, okay, interesting. So yeah, don't don't do both at the same time with like equal speed then. Yeah, too much headache. So, um, but kind of going into a bit more on the supply side growth, then like, what do you do when you're launching a new city? Like, how do you get them to join the the portal? Yeah, for for the supply side, it's not as digital as the consumer side. Yeah, uh, we tried like performance marketing and so on, but the issue there is that the base of of the number of companies you have out there in Sweden is about. 80,000 companies within our like target group. And we really want to identify the absolute best of these companies. So when you shoot kind of road with performance marketing, we need to do a lot of screening and screen away a lot of the companies. So we have partnership managers that are looking like headhunting basically yeah. companies and look at external rating sites. And we always ask each supply we get on board, we ask them if they can recommend their top colleague in yeah. the industry and so on so launching in a new city we'll look at the registers for certificates for example for plumbing you need uh, something called sakivatan so 
look at okay who which companies has that which has the highest rating who has instagram account because then we know they're kind of digital we have a really mm. high conversion on the ones that are active on instagram <laughs> yeah okay um and then we contact them and they go through like a nine-step process we have of a digital interview in the app and going through our code of conduct and checking like the credit score both on the current company but also on previous companies because unfortunately in the industry a lot of companies uh, are, are making their company bankrupt and mm. start a new company because they didn't pay their taxes as they should or they had bad ah. employees and so on. Okay I see interesting. Okay, so so that is still uh, fairly then offline. Uh, yeah. And then when it comes to the performance marketing and the SEO, like what have you learned from that work so far? Do you have any like key insights when it comes to the demand side or yeah? Yeah, I think we learned a lot about like how we should how we should communicate, mm-hmm. uh, what type of messaging that the works are not so, especially in in Sweden, like. Uh, Speaking about like differences between the countries, you are, we are connected a lot to like consensus and how other, uh, you know, friends are acting and so on. So ad, for example, with focus on what neighbors are doing. So we have like ads with maps that are mm. dotting out projects in your neighborhood and like mm. uh, do as your neighbor. Those are uh, converting really, really well. So in the beginning, I think we were more focused on like what features we had or um, like book a video call to get a quote and so on. But now we use more like social proof or uh, yeah, neighboring proof. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Okay. That's really interesting. I think it's, uh, I think sometimes when you talk about performance marketing, you get so into like, you know, audiences and the channels and formats and so forth. So it's really interesting that the top of mind part is messaging because Mm. I think uh, uh, very often it's like, I wouldn't say of overlooked, but you have kind of have to have the full picture of everything to be able to find that because it's easy to start digging somewhere else. Definitely, yeah. And I mean, our our target group on the consumer side, as I said, the demand is really there. It's just a matter of like finding the yeah the most cost effective channels, and and we have really seen a difference in in mm. messaging also between men and uh, men and women. What type of messaging that works that mm. men wants more. Uh, more concrete numbers and facts like when we communicate uh, a cost of for example changing a tap or installing spotlights or lamps or something like that uh, we see that we've got a lot of men booking exactly (laughs) that service like okay great I know what the cost will be yeah okay yeah Interesting. Yeah, so I know that you have uh, not that many competitors, but you have one competitor, Klaus Olsson, uh, that launched a service called Klaus Fixare. Yep. Like, how is it competing with that sort of service? I, I know from kind of listening to you and experience, I know that you are much more like technically advanced at them, than them, but from a like marketing trust, uh, like that sort of perspective? Yeah, good question. I mean, we we will actually lo- launch next week, we will launch a collaboration with them. Oh, really? Keep your <laughs> friends closer and so on. <laughs> uh, no, but the, a big a big difference in, uh, in our focus is that we focus on qualified professionals like electricians, plumbers, we need uh, education. Uh, I need a certificate, whereas Class Fixer focuses mostly on smaller projects, which our craftsmen don't want to do. So it's a good, yeah, it's mm. a good match there that they they can help us out with uh, with smaller projects. But yeah, as you say, I think uh, I think Class Fixer, of course, they have advantage of 
of being a big brand, uh, what, what they don't have is like the advantage of creating a complete new brand. They are stuck with their yeah. <laughs> brand. And we see that a lot of like early adopters, of course, in the beginning were, were choosing to use us as a new, fresh brand that, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I think that's an advantage, of course. And then another difference is that uh, we are a marketplace, so we can scale really quickly into to new cities. Right now we are in 12 cities in, in Sweden and counting. And uh, for companies like Klasvik that, that are hiring their own staff, uh, they can't expand as, uh, as, as quickly. Yeah. yeah. It's true. So I know that you are kind of like, or you recently looked to hire a CMO. Uh, yes. So uh, kind of looking at marketing from that angle, like it was the first person, I think, working with marketing in the company. Like, what did you look for? Yeah, good question. It's, uh, I think for me overall when hiring uh, for startups, I've, I've done a lot of hiring in startups. What I look for as a priority is more more the soft skills or the personality I would say like uh, grit, for example, to be able to show grit is like one of the most important things. So it can be in your job that you have been part of of scaling a startup and not only work there for like one year, which is kind of easy. You have the six month honeymoon period and you stay for another six months and then you're off the next thing, like you've really been sticking to it and show that you've been part of the progress or that you can show that. I don't know, you have like sports achievements or you learned a new language or something that, that shows grit is, is super important for me. Um, but besides besides that, we want someone with with the skills or at least somewhat a good understanding of, of the top channels that we see ahead, which is SEO and, and performance marketing. So they have the basic uh, knowledge for that. But I think besides that, it's really looking more at the, at the soft skills like yeah. uh, also like the flexibility ability to take initiative and to like dare to try out new things i think that's really a big difference from really good marketers to not as good ones that you dare to to try out new strategies and like stick to it even though it doesn't work the first month like dare to stick to it a bit longer to see if it actually works yeah or a small tweak of something just to yeah, kind exactly. of yeah adapt to it i figure the points on the map wasn't maybe the first idea that came like marking the neighbors <laughs> <laughs> exactly no no <laughs> uh, cool um but you mentioned earlier that you worked with quite a few both uh, tech startups and marketplaces and so forth like if you're looking at uh, the nordic countries like comparing sweden to other markets and how you've chosen to expand so far and can you share your thoughts about that yeah um like i said marketplaces scaling any any type of company to new countries is challenging. Marketplaces even more so since you have the supply and demand. And I think companies that are in in one country in the Nordics usually naturally thinks about scaling to another country within the Nordics because you think that it is a lot of similarities. Like we're the same type of culture, right? Yeah. But uh, I really believe that you should look beyond that when you choose how to scale and which country to scale it because scaling for example to Denmark can be as challenging as scaling to the UK because the cultural differences are pretty big even in in the Nordics and that reflects both on how you build the organization but also the marketing that you have validated in your country like you pretty much need to start at at the blank 
page in the new country that you go into. So, for example, in uh, in Finland versus Sweden and Denmark, like uh, the amount of uncertainty that you that you want is like really really low in in Finland uh, compared to in Sweden. So looking at um, like cultural differences, uh, you can look at like Hofstedt, for example. I don't know that. He is, uh, hmm, I wonder how he would pitch himself. I would say he's like a professor in cross-cultural differences. So okay. he has like this index of mm-hmm. of things like, for example, uncertainty or like if you're a f- masculine or feminine country or... Um, Yeah, a lot of like. So he basically rates the countries. He rates the countries, yeah. Mm, uh, interesting. And you can, I mean, you you shouldn't read it like literally with everything, but I think you can find inspiration when trying to understand the different Nordic countries or comparing Nordics to other countries. So, looking at the Nordic countries, it is really big differences within the Nordic countries. So, uh, with uncertainty, for example, like Finnish people want a lot of more details where Swedish people can have it a bit more like loose ends but Finnish people also Danish people I think uh, want to have more like statistical based decisions and you need to be more formal and maybe connect your communication to I don't know authority approvals and so on so like you need to to adapt your communication to how the cultural differences is are in different countries. So that's really interesting. But based on your experience, then would you uh, launch in Denmark or Finland as the second market or where would you launch? Yeah, we we have actually decided that we probably will launch in Norway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not following my own example here that you should look outside. <laughs> no, but we, we've been doing really thorough like due diligence on, on different countries. And we like We mapped up and compared like everything like United Arab Emirates, Australia, like and looked at factors both like cultural differences, which is one thing, uh, but also the cost of um, expanding to a new country, like what does SEO cost in a country, influencer marketing and so on. And then looked at, I think most importantly, do we have any like unfair advantage to going into a specific country? And for us, we have our partnerships that is a really big part of overcoming the the supply and demand situation. So we have partnerships that we can go into in Norway and also in Finland. So that kind of made our decision that we will stay in in the Nordics and scale with our partners. But if we wouldn't have the partners to scale together with, then I would definitely look outside of of the Nordics. Because I mean, going into Oslo really is like going to a little bigger city than Gothenburg. Yeah. So comparing the effort you need to make, you still need to localize everything. everything. You still need to like set up uh, all the legal structures and so on. So comparing that to going into Berlin or London and so on and see like, do yeah. you have any any advantage of uh, of staying in Nordics? Otherwise, I think you should dare to to look at the bit, little bit bigger markets. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So just kind of to uh, recap, you said you looked at uh, the cultural, some of the market, the unfair advantage. Was there any like, did you look at the legal system or? Absolutely, legal system and like um, for us, uh, we have a lot of a lot of since we focus the platform on the administrational parts for the craftsmen, uh, we looked at similarities. And there you can find some more similarities in the north. So, for example, in Sweden, we have this tax deduction called ROT for home improvement projects. Uh, and we looked at other countries to see where do they have 
similar setups, similar. Yeah. Uh, like the the craftsman market, where is it as fragmented as in Sweden, uh, which there is in Norway as well. Uh, and then we looked at specific things like in Norway, it's the it's the country with the highest rate of home ownership mm. uh, and the highest spend of home improvement projects. So that in combination with the different type of marketing. Yeah. Costs were surprisingly a lot lower than in Sweden for like influencer marketing and SEO for, for our keywords. Interesting, interesting. And um, I think when, uh, because I had a bit of a conversation uh, with you before, so I'm kind of like uh, drawing from that. I think you said something that you were thinking about scaling uh, first, but that you were looking now first to, due to the financial um, kind of um, situation we are in now where money is more expensive, uh, you were pushing the expansion a bit further? Yeah, exactly. In the beginning of the year, we were thinking about expanding now already and we were going to take in um, a larger amount of venture capital. But now we decided to to stay in Sweden and focus on going break-even during the coming months here. And once we have a more stable ground in Sweden, then, uh, then we will scale internationally. So I think, I mean, the whole climate have have shifted in that in the beginning of the year when we spoke to to venture capital firms. It was all about like expanding to as many countries as possible and uh, use of growth and so on. But now it's uh, like focus on profitability, which I really like. And it feels good in the gut to like have that focus. And I know that a whole team is really like committed to that and uh, uh, building a stable ground before you start going international because then it's really make it or break it when you... Yeah put as much budget as you have to do to to go international. Yeah. Uh, and I think that sometimes, well, uh, I kind of, why I wanted you to kind of share your thoughts on how you did market research, I think that sometimes or often we kind of underestimate how much it takes to go to another country yeah. because there are so many factors. It's it's not enough to translate your website, even though that's part of the steps. Uh, there is so much else that you kind of need to really be prepared for. And I think many times when you have venture capital and people are excited to kind of go abroad, it's so easy to just run abroad and mm. not really kind of understand that in many ways you kind of have to do the exact same thing again yep. that, you have, <laughs> that you have done in the first market. Yeah. yeah, no, definitely. And besides like the marketing and the legal and everything, also like starting up in a new country, depending on if you if you need the local office or not, it's kind of like building up a mini organization again yeah. and like coordinating. So you build the same culture within each country uh, you have the same working processes and so on uh, that in itself is a is a huge project so I think you end up needing a lot of more like centralized staff to coordinate that and like keeping that the organization and the cultural values uh, the same yeah yeah definitely uh, and we're kind of getting into a new topic now that we uh, said we were going to touch upon and that is building a culture when working remotely and now we're speaking mostly based on you know the previous situation with covid and everything but i guess kind of the same goes if you're expanding abroad like what are your thoughts on that and how have you been uh, working with that yeah i i really believe that you need to to think about how to build a remote culture i mean a lot of companies, as we've seen in, in media and so on recently, are forcing their employees to to come back to the office. And I can see sort of why, because you, I can feel sometimes that I lose control when you have a lot of people working remotely. But I think that you really need to work actively with building a good remote culture. And I'm I'm lucky to have my co-founder, Alec, who's really creative in 
in coming up with good ways to <laughs> to think outside the box. So in the middle of COVID, when we were a lot of new people in the team, I felt that we were lacking the team feeling, the team spirit, and we felt very distant when we have these, you know, after work uh, beers remote. It feels like you don't get that good energy going. So Alec was like, okay, why don't we buy VR headsets for everyone in the team and try to have our meetings in, in VR and we can have that as a like go-to place instead of a ping-pong table in the office. You can go in and play some uh, Liz Doom in uh, VR. Uh, and that really helped to kind of break the ice in the team to have that as a like Monday stand-up meeting when we created our own little conference room and had our meetings in there. So that was, uh, that was a really fun way to, to engage. But I think you need to... Yeah, work really actively with that. And now we also just booked a um, two-week trip to uh, Split uh, that will go to end of September. So everyone that are working remotely can meet uh, and can build that, you know, basic relationship with each other. So you have a foundation to base it off on when we, we sit and work remotely. But then, of course, also find find good incentives for the team so they feel that, that commitment and uh, more than... Uh, you know, just monetary things. Yeah. Uh, like we have options program, for example, so you really feel part of the success going forward and so on. Mm, yeah. Uh, one thing that uh, someone said to me very early when COVID came, uh, they said that um, innovation is done in person, but implementation can be done anywhere. So basically switching between the two, which uh, kind of stuck with me. Um, but you seem very creative. Have you uh, found a way to like uh, do innovation and like being creative when you're using the VR headsets or something like that? Or is it more to build the relationship and the social part? And uh... I think the, the VR headset, that's mostly to, yeah, to build relationships, yeah. I would say. We've we done some workshops in it, but ah, that gets a bit too messy. Uh, people are starting to like, I don't know, find the fine things in a VR game and start shooting each other with different colors and stuff like that. It gets a bit too crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good for the, you know, yeah. the, the, the building. Yeah. But we we try to, to use tools as like Miro and things like that too. Yeah. Yeah, uh, to get the creativity going. And I think since we have people working remote from, from other countries as well, we have one person in Egypt that... We will have moved to Sweden now, actually, yeah, uh, nice. if you want to come yeah. here. And a few that are around in, in Sweden. So it's it forced us to to work remote. And we've been trying a, or to be creative when working remote. And we've been trying uh, a lot of different ways. For a while, we had, like, the, you were constantly connected with, like, a video and, and the sound. So you kind of get the feeling of seeing it office, but that got a bit too creepy to like constantly have the video on I don't know it's a bit stressful <laughs> yeah. but uh yeah I've been trying trying to use like tools like Miro and stuff like that too uh, so you feel that you are more in a in an office environment and you can you know doodle on the whiteboard yeah. and so on yeah I see yeah and I, I kind of if I connect two things that you've been talking about both like looking at the people you're hiring and the, their type of personality compared to the fact that you were a bit forced of making it work like uh, has it been part of the getting the gritful personalities that you were going to be hybrid or would that be? Yeah, no, definitely. Like my goal in the long term is really to be able to, I want to surf in Bali and work from there, like it's egoistic <laughs> perspective as well. And I yeah. know a lot of people in the team, they are also like, yeah, I I want everyone to work where they are doing their best, best work. work. But yeah. to be able to do that, you need people that 
uh, that has proven that they have the ability to have grit and yeah. to not, I mean, when you sit home alone, if you have tough weeks, it's easy to, to give up if yeah. you don't have the grit um, and don't have the colleagues around and so on. So, uh, yeah, definitely finding people that you, you have trust in. And that's also, I guess, connected to, uh, like I had that basic thought in the beginning when we found it done, but then also my uh, my co-founder uh, and partner in life as well, Alec, he got the cardiac arrest. Uh, the first year that we were uh, building done was actually the same day as we got our first investment in the account. He, he got a cardiac arrest. And uh, since we're a couple as well, that meant that both of us were, were out of work, back and forth a lot. So we we really felt that we need to to trust our employees. We had to hand over a lot of the business to like people that were newly hired uh, and really trust them. So I think that that has both built a really solid foundation with the people that were on board then, but also created a feeling in me that I, I need to be able to trust them. I can't force anyone to come into the office or mm. I, you know, I, I need to feel that they want to be part of that and want to be part of the journey and have the grit that it takes. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to share some of what it's like to uh, work in a startup when you have this kind of like life and death going on next to you? Like, yeah, it, it is it's been challenging, <laughs> needless to say. I think, I guess it's also connected to, to what we spoke about before that you need to have that like work-life balance, be able to work from anywhere uh, that you want to and set your boundaries and how you work. So uh, like it is a marathon here that we're running, not a, not a sprint. So that's been one part, like set, set the boundaries. I mean, the cardiac arrest itself wasn't stress caused because of stress, but it's, it still made you think that you need to, yeah. to have a good work-life balance. And then uh, also the, the trust in the team that it's been a lot of days where we just have to, to write on Slack, like, off to the, the ambulance, you have to take over this, yeah. Uh, let you know what happens. And that's that's been tough, but having the team there that, you know, really backs it, that's like everything. Uh, without that, we wouldn't be able to to do it. So building a startup overall is a roller coaster and you need to, to be adaptable to new situations all the time. But adding on issues with the heart, because even after the first cardiac arrest, he's been having multiple uh, new cardiac arrests. So... You need to constantly be be adaptable and when things happen in life, you just have to accept it and like, okay, now we need to be at the hospital and need to change these plans and yeah, work work around it and accept that things will happen all the way. Like the all the plans you set up and all the budgets you set up, you need to strive to it, but things will happen along the way. Like yeah. if it is in COVID or financial crisis and health issues, so... Yeah, yeah. Trying to have that acceptance in it. Yeah, I guess in in some way, uh, I guess you are more prepared because it's been with you all the time. The fact that it can happen. I mean, kind of from perspective, I think I ran uh, aim for for like three years before the first crisis, and then you're not ready for it. Uh, yeah. So you kind of build in the art of. Uh, Adapting really fast. Yeah, thanks to definitely. This. Yeah, <laughs> that's the worst. No, no, but definitely. I think that before, like at the first cardiac arrest, that was be- like pre-COVID and everything. Then it was really devastating. I mean, it was yeah, really hard to uh, to accept it then. But now it's something that 
we have to live with and other things that happens in, in life as well. Like we will hopefully run down like really long term and yeah. uh, sometimes we just need to, yeah, like pause it because of personal reasons and not pause it, but like go off track a bit and adapt the plans and so on. Yeah, be very open to change. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I usually end all the podcasts with one question. What is it that I should have asked you about that I haven't asked you about? Oh, that's it. <laughs> Always when people ask that on podcasts, I'm like, that's a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> um, Maybe why you as a customer should use that. Ah, oh, nice. You got your uh, opportunity <laughs> for co- coming up. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so um, why should you as a customer use that? Oh, good question. Um, as a customer... If you if you use done, you don't have to do all the research yourself, right? Because we have this nine-step process where we vet all of our craftsmen before they start using done. And once they start using done, we keep track of all our craftsmen in our platform so we can see that they are delivering good customer service. And we have 4.9 out of 5 in completed projects in ratings. Yeah, so the highest industry average that is is out there. So you will not only get the good vetted craftsman, but you will also be matched really quickly uh, with a good craftsman. So you don't need to call around uh, and uh, research and check all the certificates yourself and so on. That's a good pitch. I was going to say I would just done just because it sounds like you have an awesome team also. So uh, good yes, job with both the service. <laughs> Might not be as logic, but you know. <laughs> so it was very nice to have you here, Marlin. Thank you so much for today. Thank you. Thanks for listening in to our podcast, Winning in the Nordics, presented by AppsFlyer. You know where to find us. Subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Google, Spotify and all good podcast apps.